0: Welcome to the Faith Driven Investor podcast. If you're a fund manager, investor, or financial advisor driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdriveninvestor.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community, and we would love the opportunity to connect with you in person. One way to do that is to join us in Dallas, September 23rd and the 24th, at the National Faith Driven Investor Conference at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. We'll be recording live episodes and joined by friends like Andy Crouch, Finney Curavilla, and the leaders of this movement. Go to our website to register. While you're there, please send us any thoughts that you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you have about being a faith driven investor. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including
1: the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guest may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual
2: or organization. So, we would say that the purpose of business is not to maximize shareholder value, per Milton Friedman and a bunch of others. We would say that the purpose of business is to be a catalyst for flourishing. And we would define flourishing as economic, social, and spiritual capital. I think if you read Genesis 2, 15 through 18, you'll see that God put us here to work, economic capital. It's not good for man to be alone. He gave us relationships. And third, don't eat the fruit of that tree over there. He gave us a moral code or a purpose for living, as it were. So we believe business should be a catalyst for that.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. I hope you're ready because this week we're going to jail. Well, not exactly, but we kind of are because we're going to interview a man who owns and operates a business that is run out of a high security prison. I'm going to say that again, a high security prison. And yes, all the images that are going through your mind right now, that's what it's like. His name is Pete Oakes. And in addition to working as a founder and chairman of an impact investing company, which William and Henry are going to talk to him about, Pete is also working to make the Hutchinson Correctional Facility in Kansas the best prison in America. How's he doing it? Well, we're going to let him tell you. Listen to William and Henry as they hear the life story of Pete Oaks and the life change that is happening for inmates who now have both a job and a higher purpose worth pursuing.
0: Welcome back to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. This is a podcast where we get to have really, really interesting conversations with men and women who have stepped out in faith to understand that they have an opportunity to steward their capital in a way that brings God glory, in a way that might be used to bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. If you've been a following Faith Driven Entrepreneur, our sister site, our sister ministry for a while, you know that Pete Oakes is one of my heroes, and I don't use that term lightly. And one of the things that I love about him is that he doesn't do anything to make him or his story famous, and yet he's been a faithful steward and a faithful leader for a long time. And has been a great encouragement to me in the world of business owning and entrepreneurship, You may have heard our Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast, where we talk to Pete about the businesses that he's run, including King. He's a great leader in the world of faith-driven investing, and he'll tell us a bit about how he invests both here domestically and then overseas. And then also, he's a real champion of the generosity movement. And that's how I originally got to know Pete, maybe eight or nine years ago. And we're going to be talking about all those things today, but with this being a podcast and an audience that's primarily focused on how do we steward capital, I wanted to talk to Pete and bring back up a conversation that we'd had about a month and a half ago as we were preparing for a conference that he had in Wichita, Kansas, that investigated this whole concept. How do we invest money and resources for God's glory? And over time, Pete's been able to develop a framework not only for how he runs a business, but then also how he invests capital. And Pete. First off, it's awesome to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us.
2: Henry, great to be here. What we'd love for you
0: to do is to riff a bit and to just share with us about how you think through stewarding the capital that God has entrusted you with. Love to hear you talk about a framework and just how you put it all together. And then with time, as the conversation goes on, I want to get into some of the actual investments that you've made overseas and also domestically and how you've seen that work and some of the investments that have worked out well and some of the investments that haven't worked out well. But start us off first with how you think about a framework. You've got a sum of capital that's come available. You want to invest it for God's glory. How do you go about it?
2: Sure, great question, Henry. I probably ought to give you some background because I think you know our experiences create our going forward actions oftentimes. So I would say the first 40 years of my life, I graduated college, I spent eight years in the commercial banking business, I was son of a farmer, very entrepreneurial family, so I wanted to start my own business. So I started my own investment banking company at the age of 30. And the first three years of that was really tough. The last seven years of that was really great. At the age of 40, I woke up 10 years later and realized that I'd been more financially successful than I'd ever imagined but I was still not satisfied. It's interesting, we'd made our first acquisition, we'd been in the investment banking business, and then I violated the number one rule of business, and that's don't fall in love with your inventory. And I saw all of these- That's the first rule of business? That's the first rule of business, don't (laughs) fall in love with your inventory. Mm -hmm. And I had all these little companies that we had in this portfolio that we were trying to sell to other people, and I said, I would really like to own that company myself. And so here we went and I bought a bank, Coming out of the banking business. Unfortunately, it was a bank that was in real trouble. And God really used that. I was a madman suing people, collecting money, trying to get the bank turned around. One of my customers countersued me. He had been a friend of the previous owner. And long story short, my attorney told me, you've lost this deal because the prior owner violated various lending regulations. I said, no worries, we're going to go ahead and win this deal. Five days into depositions, hadn't gotten to first base, and I'd spent 50000 in legal fees. I was desperate, and I was having my quiet time on a Friday morning. And then Proverbs 6, the Oaks translation says, If you've gotten yourself in jam, go humble yourself and beg to get out of the jam. So that day after deposition, I went up to the man who was suing me and said, Would you meet with me over the weekend and talk about this lawsuit? And his attorney was standing right there and gave him permission. So I showed up to the guy's office two o'clock Sunday afternoon. It took him a little while to come into the office, but he did. And a gruff voice said, Well, what do you want? I get up out of my chair, I go over, I get down on my knees in front of his desk, and I said, Lynn, I'm a Christian. I understand that I was reading actually in Proverbs, and it says if you've gotten yourself in a jam, go humble yourself and beg to get out of the jam. So I am, this lawsuit's got me in a jam, and I'm begging you, I'm humbling myself, I'm begging you to let me out of the lawsuit. As I looked up, the man began weeping uncontrollably 30 days ago, and I didn't know how to get out of the lawsuit. And within 10 minutes, we had it settled. It was the first time in my life that God showed me that God's word really had something to do with business and not this kind of great spiritual life we were all starting to live. So I think that has set the tone for the last thirty years as to how I look at business and investing. So with that, is it safe to say, by the way, that that's the that is an appropriate if
0: you're going to do have a business meeting on a Sunday? That's the way to run one.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Get down on your knees, and then it's okay.
2: I've had plenty of Sunday meetings where I wasn't on my knees and that they didn't turn out so great. Mm-hmm. So you're right. So that all just began this life-changing event that within the next few months, I came to understand ownership versus stewardship. And when the stewardship thing, when that came and I understood that just within a few weeks, I totally changed my approach to how I did a business and investing. And over the next 10 years, I would say the first 40 years I spent pursuing success, the next 10 years I spent pursuing significance, and we invested in numerous privately held companies during this time. We continued to have our investment banking business, but we also became a principal. And we did the typical leveraged buyout thing at that point in time. We would lever them hard, run them hard for five or six years and flip them, make good money and go again. We did that. And during that time, I made a fundamental mistake. I thought stewardship was financial generosity. So I just began to give away as much money as I could, thinking that that was stewardship. 9-11 rolled around. Our business cratered. We about went bankrupt. And I looked at God and said, don't you understand what I've done for you? And over another few months, I came to realize that he really wanted me and not my money. Mm -hmm. So I think the first rule of investing is really to make sure that it's a stewardship thing. The second thing I learned during that, almost coming to the point of bankruptcy, was that during the 90s, I didn't want to even give my employees raises so that I could make more money to give more money away. And when I came to understand that stewardship and investing is more holistic in nature then that's where we came up with this idea of creating these three forms of capital, economic, social, and spiritual capital. During the 90s, that whole movement began to get lots of uh, traction. but people called it people, profit, and planet primarily. That was the triple bottom line. Right. Being a Christian, I saw that they lacked one thing, and that was principles. You had people, profit, planet. Where were the principles in this thing? Yeah. So we took the planet piece, rolled it into social capital, and said spiritual capital was our principal piece. So whenever we make an investment, we're looking to make sure that it has an economic, a social, and a spiritual bottom line to it in some form or fashion.
0: So take those in order, and you can take them anywhere you want. Maybe the economic capital is obvious, but I especially, of course, because this is the Faith Driven Investing Podcast, I want you to be able to unpack spiritual but maybe you lead into that by talking about the other things that you do for the planet, because I know that you've been involved in hydropower, you've been doing other things, and that if we invest and we just talk about our faith without excellence in those other areas, then we just don't have as much of an ability to do to deliver the spiritual piece. But talk through a bit more about what that framework actually looks like in practice.
2: So economically, I would say if we are a Christian investor— we are a faith-driven investor. And I will come at this discussion primarily from a private equity perspective because that's my background. So anytime you make an investment, let's say in any deal, but particularly a private equity deal, and if you are a Christian, you are a faith-driven investor. Now, I think oftentimes we look at a business deal and maybe it just has really good economics and so we don't worry about how we can create social or spiritual capital, as it were. So we're always looking for this silver bullet that has lots of social and spiritual capital in it. I start by saying, make sure the economics are really good because if you have good economics, the social and spiritual piece, well, you can create a lot of social spiritual capital if you have economic capital. So we make sure that economically the deal works.
3: Hey Pete, William here. I wanna take one step above Could you let our listeners in to what type of companies are you investing in? So, what type of investor do you consider yourselves? And so, as you're thinking about this framework, I just want to let everybody in to your world a little deeper and to think about what are you overlaying this framework onto?
2: Yes. So, over the last 25 years, we've invested in 10 or 12 companies. They are going to be mid sized companies, sales beginning at five or 10 million up to 20 or 25 million and they are going to be all privately owned. They will be in various industries. So we've been in the banking business. We've been in the advertising business. We've been in the healthcare business, several manufacturing companies. I am not an expert in any of those. So I look to find the person that is. And then if I'm comfortable that I can get my hands around the product and I like where the market's going, then I believe we can bring in all the other principles that make the company a high impact company in some sense. Well,
3: oh, that's great. That's great. And you know, you hear a lot about management team, about finding the right person. As you've done that, my gut would say, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've always picked the best person every single time and you've never had a problem. If you have, that's amazing. Uh, we're going to hire you uh, if we can afford you. Uh, but
0: can't afford them. They okay, can't. never
3: mind. Henry solved that problem. But I wanna know, how do you pick the person? How do you think about partnership at that level, at an investing level, right? I mean, you're coming alongside, my guess is you probably own more of the company than they do. It really is an investment. It's a different style partnership than maybe starting a company with someone. Uh, Maybe walk through how you think about that.
2: Sure. So I think there are two pieces of that. There are the investors and then there's the management team, okay? So on the management team, we would make sure that the senior leadership of that company is all like-minded. In other words, we're all Christ followers. On the investor side, early on, we did not do that, but we made sure that they weren't opposed to our Christian beliefs. And that worked out fine. And we had some great impact on those investors. Today, I'm probably of the same mind that the management team, we all need to be like-minded. And investors, as long as they're not opposed to what we're doing I think that it works out fine, and we've not seen any problem with that.
0: Pete, walk us through some of these investments. Maybe take one domestically and just talk about how you're able to bring this framework and to bear with these four considerations. And then why don't you look at one that's international? I hinted at it before, I'm particularly interested in the hydro deal. It's, and maybe we even would just start there so many people that listen to this podcast know that there are incredible opportunities overseas and yet are intimidated by it, have no idea even how to think about it. They can get their arms around maybe about buying a company that's got three to $5 million of EBITDA domestically, but how to think creatively about putting investment capital work overseas is something that's truly daunting. And yet there's so much opportunity there. You've waded into it. Tell us what it was like.
2: Yes. So, Let's start with the end result, and the end result has to be that it creates economic, social, and spiritual capital. Social capital is just making sure that we're creating great relationships and we're taking everyone that comes in contact with us and showing them what they can be if they would follow Almighty God, as it were. And spiritual capital is really just sharing love of Jesus. So the end result are those three forms of capital. Here we have four values— or a four-way system, we answer four questions determine if we like the investment. So here's the first one. Uh, Does it honor God? That has to do with the principles of the investment, okay? The second question we ask is, does it serve people? The third question we ask is, can we do it with excellence? And the fourth question is, are we being good stewards of the resources that God's given us. So anytime we make an investment, and even now when we have our current businesses, when we're going to spend a bunch of money for a machine, let's say an automated robot we will ask four questions. Does it honor God? Does it serve people? Can we do it with excellence? And are we good stewards of the capital by spending it on that particular thing? So those are the four basic questions. We then have this much more detailed decision matrix, and we're happy to share this with folks. But once you have those four questions, then we just start digging deeper. But it has to pass that four-way test. So, for instance, when we decided to go into the prison and put a manufacturing company in the prison, the first thing we said, well, does it honor God? That is typically a fairly easy one to get by, unless you're doing something pornographic or selling drugs or something that's just illegal, okay? The second one, does it serve people? Well, sure, it serves people very well, because here are inmates that never had a chance for a job. Third, could we do it with excellence? Now is where things begin to get a little more sticky because you are now focusing in and can you become an expert in the field that you're in? In other words, could we build industrial seating and build it really well? That was the question we had to ask ourselves as an investor. We said, yeah, we can do that. And then the third one, are we good stewards? That really is the economic question to some sense. What return do we think we can get and can we also get returns not only economically, but socially and spiritually as well?
0: So let's go ahead and look at that a little bit closer, maybe before we go overseas. Talk about the spiritual capital that you've seen among your workers in the prison at C. King. And just for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Faith of an Entrepreneur podcast that we had recorded earlier, Kings is a 150-person company. It's in the prisons, employing prisoners, making industrial seating, correct? That's correct. And I've seen some videos, but bring people into what's it look like. You know, you're providing real employment to these workers. Walk us through that. And then also talk about when you talk about, you know, it can be as simple as sharing the gospel. Well, a lot of listeners here that are deploying investment capital say, well, that's actually not simple at all. It may sound simple to Pete, but actually, how does that work? What do you do when you talk about sharing the gospel with your workers that are in this company that you've invested in? How do you go about doing that?
2: Sure. Sure. So, Henry, I would even broaden it. We also have a business in Mexico, Zacatecas, Mexico. And so whether it's in Honduras or Mexico or the prison or the U.S., the way we share spiritual capital is we just look for ways that we can serve them spiritually. In the prison specifically, one of the things we did was we started offering Bible studies. We started offering life lessons. We had leadership lessons. We had fathering lessons. We had investment lessons. There was no place to worship. So we started fundraising. And this month, we will complete the construction of a million-dollar church inside of the prison walls, actually. And so I think on the spiritual capital front, one of the things we do is we look at our employees and we say, what are their needs? And then we say, how can we meet those needs spiritually? We literally do surveys a couple of times a year with our employees. And we say, you know, how can we serve you? And believe me, they'll tell you. And then it's just a matter of going and doing it.
0: Yeah. Walk us through it. So you mentioned the investment you have in Mexico. What's it been like to invest overseas?
2: Yes. So about, I suppose, 10 or 12 years ago, I became interested to say, does this framework that we have to run business, would it work in a third world country per se? I spent three weeks looking around Africa. We decided not to go there simply because we're operational investors. So we spend time in the businesses along with our investment. And it was just too far. So I went to South America and I wound up with the opportunity to invest in a hydroelectric plant. So we go up in the mountains, we wear off the water, we run the water along the side of the mountain for a ways, and then we turn it downhill. And the head pressure in that water spins a turbine, which spins a generator, which creates electricity which we put on the national grid and dump the water back in the river. So it's a fairly straightforward project.
0: By the way, you have to understand that when a listener is listening to this, that doesn't sound straightforward at all. <laughs> just going ahead and redirecting a river in Honduras
3: coming down a mountain. That doesn't sound straightforward. So basically, we just use water to create, you know, lights in your house. It's super easy.
2: Yeah, super uh, easy. Super easy. Basic. Yeah, <laughs> In Honduras. So economically, so when we asked the three questions, does it create economic, social, and spiritual capital? We looked at the economics of the project and we said, after we ran everything, 30% of the folks don't have electricity in Honduras. So we said, that's a great opportunity for social good. We liked that. When we ran the numbers, we figured out we could get a 15, 16% cash on cash return to investors. The Honduran government had just passed a renewable energy law that encouraged entrepreneurs to come into the country. So they gave us a 10-year moratorium on income taxes, and then they also gave us a 20-year power purchase agreement. So those two things were very interesting to us. Plus, just the social and spiritual needs in Honduras were amazing. So we started a seminary down there. We started the same seminary in the prison, and we've taken that seminary now to Honduras. I think we've trained 59 pastors and planted 13 new churches just out of that hydroelectric project and the seminary that they did. So economically, we saw that it worked. Socially, we saw that it worked very easily. And then spiritually, oftentimes, we will be the people that are on the front lines of the spiritual capital warfare, as it were. And I like for our people to be that way. At times, though, we're maybe not experts in that, so oftentimes we like to partner with ministries, and they will be experts at it, so we'll let them do it. A quick example would be in Mexico. What we're looking at doing now, we have about 350 or 400 employees in Mexico. We ask the employees, what's the number one thing we could do for you? They said, teach us English, okay, because if they can learn English, they will double their salary. So what we did is we went out and we found a company who is certified by the Mexican government, and they will come to our plant and teach our folks English after hours. Now, here's the problem. There's a couple hundred kids that need parents during that time. So we've said, just bring your kids to the plant. And what we are doing is working with Young Life, and we will literally hire a Young Life person, put them in the plant, and they will lead Young Life clubs while their parents are learning English. So it's just this matter of being creative, of figuring out what the needs of your folks are socially and spiritually, and then coming up with an innovative solution to meet it.
0: So William and I are both in the investment business, and we've come to understand with time that of all the different things that an institutional investor needs to do, whether it's raising money or whether it's negotiating deals or managing deals or running fund ops, that the most important thing for an investor is actually deal flow is being able to be exposed to opportunities where you can put investment dollars to work. Talk to us about how that's worked overseas. If somebody's listening to this and saying, you know, I would like to put money to work overseas, how do you find the man of peace in Honduras? How do you find the partner in Mexico? How has that worked out for you?
2: Um, That is the $64,000 question. And I believe it all hinges on having a native in whatever country you're in that knows business, can maneuver his way around, and is a trusted person. If you find that person, then typically everything else works pretty well. Without that person in Honduras, without Jose Reyes in Honduras, without other folks in Mexico, we could never have done that job. In Mexico, it was a little simpler because one of the things we did was we used a maquiladora instead of just going in and doing everything from the ground up. So they had lots of the regulatory. They knew all the laws. They had the relationships. In in Mexico, it's very labor union heavy. And so they had all the relationships with the labor unions. So I think it's absolutely essential that you have that on-ground partner who knows the ropes.
3: And- and also, taking a step back, so economically, you mentioned, you know, a return threshold a minute ago on that deal. How do you think about return thresholds? And especially in the faith driven investing arena, are there different return thresholds if there's, if there's different pieces of those three? Or do you have a, a flatline economic, hey, it has to be above this because that's what I feel called to do. And that's what my co-investors are. How do you think about that economic piece and how it intertwines with the other two?
2: Yes. Uh, if I'm really honest with you, <laughs> probably the uh, that's the game plan (laughs) probably the greedy capitalist is going to show on me at this time but i just think the economics have to work and work really well there are times when the social and spiritual capital pieces of that are so good that you're willing to take a less financial return okay but I will just tell you, I think the economics have to be there.
0: We agree. I don't know if as podcast hosts, we're allowed to say whether we agree or not. I think we're supposed to be impartial. But it's hard to not agree to that. I want to just ask you just a question about putting money to work overseas again. You talked about the importance of having a guy like Jose Reyes. I guess Maquilador, is that an organization in Mexico?
2: Yes, Maquilador would be an organization that typically finds the building and the space for you. And then they actually employ people and you lease the employees from them to run your business. So they handle all of the personnel issues and they handle the real estate for you. And you then you do not have to have your own legal entity in Mexico. So it can just come down and you can uh, use them to be the legal entity and you use their workers and their space to create product.
0: Do you find when you work with local partners that you insist that they have skin in the game as well? So not only are they involved in making the connections, but they have financial risk as well?
2: Yes. I think that's a big part of success. We have done it both ways. And the ones that really feel ownership and have some skin in the game and have something at risk, it makes a huge difference in her. Got it.
3: As I zoom out, so economic returns important. What's your in game, Pete? So you, you make money. Do you pour it back into more investments? I assume you give some away or, or is investing what you feel called to do? Is it more investments, more employees, more social and spiritual capital? Uh, and therefore, if you make more economic capital, you can invest in more people. H- how does God work in your uh, portfolio theory, if you will, on what you do with the profits and kind of what the what the end game is? I imagine there's a lot of investors listening right now who could just be on the forefront of this and kind of thinking, okay, well, where does this end? You know, you can make investments forever. Just, just how do you think through that?
2: Yes. So we would say that the purpose of business is not to maximize shareholder value per Milton Friedman and a bunch of others. We would say that the purpose of business is to be a catalyst for flourishing. And we would define flourishing as economic, social, and spiritual capital. I think if you read Genesis two fifteen through 18, you'll see that God put us here to work economic capital. It's not good for man to be alone. He gave us relationships. And third, don't eat the fruit of that tree over there. He gave us a moral code or a purpose for living, as it were. So we believe business should be a catalyst for that. So the way we look at it, I think we're oftentimes investors get into trouble is they try mixing the social, economic, and spiritual returns. So what we do is we make sure that each one of those three are accounted for separately. So let me give you an example. We just take our businesses and we make sure that no social or spiritual capital costs get put above the net operating income line. Net operating income defines and measures our economic capital. Below that, we will then have expenses for social and spiritual capital. And we know exactly what we're spending on those. So as investors, bifurcate those if you can, so that you're making sure that you're maximizing the return on each one of those three forms of capital. Make sense?
3: That's great. That's great. That makes perfect sense. And I love that simplified framework around income statements. I think that's uh, something we can all follow. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end here and you, know, you did a great job of laying out the biblical view of how you think through those three. I'd love to transition to our, our favorite closing question is, uh, Pete, you get to see so many things. You get to go into a company that if people didn't quite get it or listen to the FDE podcast, I encourage you to. Literally is built inside of a prison. You go through prison security to go to work. The people that work at your company do that. You're building power with you know, crazy things. Where does God have you in his word right now? Walk us into your life a little bit deeper. What is he showing you uh, that maybe you hadn't seen before that's maybe impacting how you live your day to day as an investor, unless you've got it all figured out, which if you do, you know, that's great. And uh, but if not, where is he taking you today?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm 67 and I keep thinking that next year will be the easy year. Next year, everything will go perfect. It just doesn't work that way. It's life. And I think God brings those, it's, it's what I call the James 1 phenomenon. Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance ultimately results in uh, wisdom. So I think we hear a lot about the three ships, as I call them. One is leadership. We have lots of podcasts, lots of blogs. Everybody's talking about Leadership. The second ship we hear about is what I call, it's really management, but I call it managership, okay? And the third ship is stewardship. Now, leadership's a big one. Everybody loves to talk about leadership. You lead people, okay? Management, that's not quite as glamorous, but you manage processes, And on stewardship, which is kind of the new buzzword, it seems to me, a lot of Christians are talking about stewardship, which is really allocating resources and viewing yourself as a a manager and not an owner. So I hear a lot about leadership, leading people, managership, managing processes, and stewardship, but I don't hear very much about the fourth ship, and that's lordship. Lordship, boy. That is a big one for me. You see, the first three are easy for me and probably easy for most of us entrepreneurs because we're doers. You lead, you manage, you steward. Those are doing things. But the fourth one, the being component, the lordship component, sitting down in the morning at the feet of almighty God and saying, what do you want me to do today, Lord? That's a tough one for me. You know, you'd know, you think I'd have it figured out by now, but uh, that's the $64,000 question. Am I doing things that, that I want to do or am I doing things that God wants me to do? Th- that's the question for me.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We're very, very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven investor community. Hey, the best way for you to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdriveninvestor.org. And while you're there, we of course want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see people join the discussion now from all around the world. But it's also very important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your journey, one that you're proud of and one that you'll share with others. This podcast, it wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer, Justin Foreman, program director, Johnny Wills, music by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdragons.com and audio and editing by Richard Barley of
0: Cornerstone Church in San Francisco.